Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Press Row. Jonah Siegel in now what was once the Wuhan of North America, now the murder bee capital of the United States. A lovely, sunny summer afternoon here in Seattle. It's going to tip uh, 70 degrees today. What's that? 2020-ish, I believe. My math is right. Somewhere in that neighborhood. 20s, 40s. Yeah, it's about like 8, 19, 20 degrees. Uh, all is well. No major complaints. Thrilled to be joined by someone whose show I've been a long, a, not just their show, someone I've been a longtime fan of, uh, has a phenomenal Wikipedia page. We're going to talk about that. Very up to date compared to a lot of people that I talk to. Uh, TSN 1050's Andy Petrillo. Andy, how are you? I'm good, although now you have me worried. I haven't checked my Wikipedia page in a while. I wonder if someone's gone and added something. Maybe I should take a look first. No, like it. <laughs> it's, um, it's really, it, it's, it's got story to it and it's, it's got a lot of detail in it. And a, and a lot of people are missing that. Uh, it's good. It's very complete. Okay. Uh, did not know where your parents immigrated from. Like all that stuff is in there. It, it's fantastic. I did notice people added that. Um, so I, again, you know, it's one of those where someone else, I think, you know, adds a Wikipedia or creates a Wikipedia page for you. And then it's, I find it fascinating the things people feel the need to add. And I did see that as well. Uh, hey, but it doesn't really surprise me. There's a proud Italian community. I know they're, they're proud to have me part of it. I'm proud to brag about it. So I guess I shouldn't be too shocked that somebody felt the need to add to my page that my parents were both born in Italy and uh, immigrated to Canada. So there you go. Yes, yeah, so it's listen, it's great. Uh, I usually tell people off there, you know, whoever your agent is, you should get them to go in and clean it up. Yours is good. Uh, I learned a lot this morning doing some research and saw a lot of fun videos that you've done over the years. Um, I typically start with some background questions, but I actually just want to jump right into it. How are, how are you doing in the eighth or ninth week of uh, Corona? Oh, man. Yeah, it's ebbs and flows, ups and downs. Uh, some days I think this is like so ridiculous and I just want the world to go back to normal. Other days I completely understand what's going on and you know, you stay inside. And then there are days of paranoia. Of, uh, am I ever going to feel safe to go outside? And then the other days of don't be ridiculous, just get out there. So um, it's, a, you know, definitely a roller coaster ride. But uh, I was also saying that I've been living haha, like a good Italian girl. I've been living with my parents again. Uh, for the past year, my husband and I moved in because we're rebuilding a home. And what was supposed to be a year of my parents helping us out as in, you know, come live with us and, and you don't have to pay an exorbitant amount of rent elsewhere. That's good old Italian parents has now turned into over a year, but uh, I'm sure they're ready to get rid of us now. But the plus side is, has also been when you're isolated, you keep hearing these stories of people missing their family, not being able to see them. And I think that's really unfortunate. That's so sad where on that plus side, I have been able to be living with my parents during all of this. So we've, kept each other entertained. We've cooked some great meals. We go over some great walks. And uh, I can't imagine um, having done this without being with my parents. So that's the plus side of everything being delayed because of the pandemic. Yeah, and I would bet uh, your husband keeps telling you he deserves a medal for spending over a year in your parents' basement. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's what he goes. I'm a 40 year old man now living in my in-laws basement. Uh, very, very true. But he stays down. He has his own space. He has no complaints whatsoever. He definitely has his own private area. But I think, I think we're all getting ready to move back into our own homes soon. Awesome. Well, I wanted to, uh, let me play this clip of something really fun that I heard today. That's, that's kind of poignant and it doesn't really work because you're not in your own space, but let's take a listen to this. essential elements in there be? Uh, a really nice bathroom. I don't care what anyone says. I need plumbing. I need running water. So I, I need a really nice bathroom, a very comfy sofa, and a nice comfy warm blanket. I like it. Yes. And uh, biggest game of the year, let's say game seven of the uh, NBA championship. Who gets the invite over to Andy's place uh, for the big game? Of course, my Do you know who the answer is? Oh my goodness, no. Who gets the invite? NBA championship. I don't even remember this interview. Who did I say? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embarrass you. I'm going to tell you your hair is very dark in this video. Much darker than it is right now. <laughs> granted, granted, this is from um, December 19th, 2010. You're in the real sports man cave. Oh my goodness, that is bringing back memories. That's right. They had it all set up where I guess... Wasn't it some of the TFC players were living in the display case? Yeah, I can't. I mean, there's no context. Yeah, that's what it was. They were living in the display case. You're, you're in a very fashionable blazer. You have a DeRozan jersey. It looks like it's draped over the, the couch behind you. And you're wearing a very fashionable scarf. And okay. uh, you yeah. can't tell me who, who, you, who you're going to have in your man cave. So, you know, the next question would be, would, if I didn't know you and I didn't know you were in your parents' place, the question obviously would be like, who's the one person you'd want to have over? And let's hear your answer from back then. Friends, because they're the coolest ever. They all know who they are. And uh, as far as, you know, celebrities, love Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. Not going to lie, I think I would invite him along. As far as a favorite female celebrity, Kate Beckinsale. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Still love Steve Tyler. Still think Kate Beckinsale's hot. Um, so I might stick with those answers. And my girlfriends, well, I got to say, I got, I got some close guy friends too. Like, like how I threw out that blanket statement so they know who they are. Okay. Yeah, so the question is, have they changed? We're going very personal here. Has that group of friends from 2010, has it changed? No, my girlfriends are, are definitely still there. And if anything, one of someone who's become a very good friend of mine who I would include in that, speaking of NBA championship, would be my boy Dan Gladman, who for years produced all the Raptors games uh, right up until their championship run uh, last year. So he's, I tease him all the time. I tell him he's one of my girlfriends. So he would definitely have to tag along. Awesome. So uh, born and raised in Toronto. Yeah, mm -hmm. Toronto area. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you got your first gig at Rogers Cable York region. What was that like? Wow. You know, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I got along so well with everyone there. Um, I started off, you know, doing some news and doing a magazine show where I was the uh, restaurant reporter. Which is like and the greatest job ever. It turned out to be the greatest job ever. Like we would shoot three restaurants in a day uh, because we would do it once a week. And uh, of course, we'd eat at one of the restaurants. Why not? Of course. And uh, the other restaurants, because we'd be stuffed at that point, I would take the food home with me. That would, you know, in some ways that was my payment. Because when I was, when I first started off there, it was purely volunteer, then turned into an internship, then eventually turned into a full-time gig. 
but the uh, producer and the camera person felt so bad because they knew I was doing all of this for free. So they said, you take the food home as payment. So that's how I got paid in the beginning, rack of lamb, you know, ribs, because of course the restaurants always wanted to showcase their best dishes. So I was bringing home gourmet meals, uh, which was fantastic. And then um, eventually got into covering sports there. And it was, it was the best, um, you know, covering junior B hockey. So every night, or sorry, every week, Thursday nights, we would showcase the New Market Hurricanes and whoever their opponent was. And I loved it. I love going into that rink. I had my ritual. You get to know everybody. I miss complaining about a cold because we would take an old dressing room and convert it into our studio, freezing cold. I would crank up the showers on hot just to get the steam going. And I loved it. I, yeah, there's, there's so many great memories uh, about it. That's not to say that I didn't want to eventually graduate into covering the NHL. Everyone wants to go from the minor leagues to the pros, but so many fond memories because everything is when you're smaller it's it feels more like a family it's this community and i absolutely uh, loved it and i remember my first couple years covering the nhl a couple guys that played on the new market hurricanes team came to a leafs game and i had a chance to reunite with them and it was awesome Can't, that's yeah. great great memories i had a i i always thought that the restaurant review business was bullshit <laughs> i did just because they knew you were coming and they knew who you were. Like, <laughs> so I, I, I wanted to start a different review site called You've Just Been Rated. And you'd get people to go in and anonymously eat at restaurants. Mm -hmm. And with, with, with cell phones, it was easy because you could go in and review it while you're sitting there. And then while you're done, when you pay your bill, you'd leave a business card that says you've just been rated. And that way you could do it that way and, and gain gain uh i couldn't figure out the business model it would have to be advertising but yeah. i like the idea of it being a little bit more pure you know i i you know um i forget the big the big uh food food critics from the globe um anyways whoever the whoever all those folks are they're very well known and i just watched the movie chef with my kids which is absolutely fantastic uh if you haven't seen it you should definitely watch it it's perfect for right now um oh. but there's a restaurant critic component to it and i always thought that was bs just how hard is it to cook a great meal when you know the guy the guy or gal eating it is going to rate you on it you're obviously going to do your best work but i thought they were anonymous i thought that they didn't really know i mean once you become a famous food critic i guess you know you walk in people know who you are but i always thought that the food critics were anonymous in some way you had no clue who they were and that's what kept you on your toes because don't you know, don't be flippant with anyone. Always have a great meal. Always have great service. Right. Well, but I like that. Well, we've definitely taken a, a wide right turn from talking, <laughs> but uh, that's what Yelp has become. And I can tell you, uh, I was in San Francisco not that long ago and I had an awful experience at a restaurant. And as I, I gave them the credit card, they don't have the same chip and pin system as they have in Toronto. So you, you give them your credit mm -hmm. card and they still disappear for five or 10 minutes you know, hacking into your account or something in the back. And uh, while I was sitting there, I went on to Yelp and I gave the restaurant a very fair critique. Mm -hmm. Before my credit card came back, I got a tap on the shoulder. The woman said to me, are you Jonah Siegel? I said, yeah. She said, was your meal really as bad as you just wrote on Yelp? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, you know, I basically, I'm the manager of the restaurant and I get the reviews in real time. So I thought that was actually pretty impressive. 
Okay. Well, that's good on the manager to it come is. on out. It can't be an easy task to be the per listen, I've worked in, I've never worked in the restaurant business, but in my younger years, I worked in retail. Mm -hmm. And I always hated that phrase, the customer's never wrong. I'm like, no, in fact, they're wrong, like majority of the time, um, and we have to deal with it. But I, I was never manager material because I can get hot under the collar very quickly. But I remember always admiring my manager whenever there was a difficult customer and the way they would deal with them. And sometimes, you know, how you appease them is through refund and whatever, and they walk away, even though you feel like they won and they shouldn't have won. But uh, it, it just takes someone with great demeanor, takes someone who can be, you know, pretty relaxed and takes someone who can see the bigger picture, yep. which is making sure you go back to that restaurant, making sure somebody goes back to that store. So me, I like the place on fire, which is why I'm not manager material, but I love that the manager would come on out and say, let's fix this. Let's see how we can fix this. Well, so, she did something go. brilliant. She yeah. gave me, she didn't take it off the bill. Mm -hmm. uh, she gave me a future credit to come back and eat again. So I thought that Thanks, was right. So speaking of managers, uh, I see that Lisa McLean Stellick was one of yours. I, to I told you your Wikipedia page is very detailed. Uh, okay. Is that Gord Stellick's wife? It is. It is. Yeah. And it says here that she had to do some pretty significant uh, campaigning to get you your gig. What was that all about? Yeah, Lisa uh, was fantastic to me. Um, and I, 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 uh, I feel bad that we even lost touch. I'd love to be able to reconnect with her as well. Cause she was, she was very inspirational in the, in the early years of my career because I was young and like I said, I was a little hot headed and, and I always wanted everything right now. Uh, that good old queen song. I want it now. And I, you know, I want it all and I want it now. And she was, she was almost like a mother figure as well to me, but you know, she also saw some talent and she was patient and wanted to make sure that I was taking the right steps to grow and would have longevity in the career uh, that I was choosing. And it, it just so happened. So I had been volunteering at Rogers Cable York region since I was a teenager. I was about 18, 19. And I held on, I, it went from a volunteer basis to an internship basis. Cause when I went to college for broadcast journalism, you had to complete a hundred hours of internship. So I said, Hey, would you now mind logging these hours? And you know, it'll go towards my schooling. And then from there, once the internship was done, they didn't want to lose me. So they kept me on on a part-time basis, which was great. And then it just so happened that the year I was graduating from university and college, was also the exact same year that the gentleman who was currently holding on to the sports producer, sports host role was leaving. He got a job at Global Sports. Rob left. He's still there. And I said, you know, this is, this is luck and hard work coming together. And I, I practically tackled Lisa in the hallway. And I said, listen, I really want this job. I think I'm ready for it. I've been doing some stuff in sports and I really want it. And she said, I think you'd be perfect for it, right? You've been here for the last few years and I think we can make this work. And um, time had gone by and, and I ended up seeing her again. And I said, okay, so how did it go? And I just remember she had this look on her face and I don't even know how to describe it. It was, it was almost like she was uh, embarrassed to say what she had to say on behalf of someone else. And she was also you know, clearly a little bit disgusted, but she goes, Andy, I don't know how to say this to you, but there's a concern of having two women at the desk because the news host was already a woman. And I, I, I remember not really being able to process that because I just said, well, I don't, I don't even understand what you're saying because there are two men at the desk in almost every show I watch. So I just don't even understand why this is a thing. And uh, she goes, no, listen, I know. And this conversation isn't over. This fight isn't over. 
and there's nobody more deserving, you know, than, than you for this. So just leave it in my hands. And I did, and she obviously took care of it and she got, you know, what she wanted and she got what was right. I mean, I'd put in the time I'd been there for years and I was the right person for the job. So I ended up getting it, but you know, she stuck up for me. She stuck up for just what was right. I think more than anything. And, uh, Last I checked, nobody complained, right, about two women being at the desk. It wasn't a big deal as, you know, I guess what uh, whoever told her that had thought. And, you know, the rest is uh, the rest is under the bridge. And, you know, from there, I, I went on to Leafs TV. But, you know, Lisa McLean Stelic was, was pretty awesome. And we did keep in touch a little bit. Obviously, I see Gord Stelic at games uh, when he still, he still does them for Fan 590. And I'll see him at uh, Leafs games. And I always make sure to tell him to say hello to Lisa because she was very instrumental in the early part of my career, even to the point where I really wanted a nose ring. And uh, I, I remember even, I mean, even who though doesn't? I was young, Yeah, who doesn't want a nose ring? I just thought it was so cool. I'm like, I want my nose to glitter when the sun hits it. And I was in my early 20s at the time. But even then I knew I still had to pass things. You know, you're on TV, you still have to get approval from your boss. And I thought, well, approval schmoovel. I'm going to tell her what I'm doing and she's just going to have to accept it. So I went in and I said, all right, Lisa, I'm going to get a nose ring. And just like what we said about a good manager, she didn't freak out. She didn't look at me weird. She just, you know, kind of sat me down and said, you know, Andy, I'm just going to say this. There are certain things in life that we do when we're younger. <laughs> and then when we get older, we look back and go, why in the world did I ever ever do that sometimes you can chuckle at it sometimes it can take your career down a path you don't want it to go so right now you just have to figure out if you're going to do things in life that are going to make you chuckle and go oh i was so foolish or are you going to look back at things in life and say i wish i didn't do that because that actually ended up hurting my career now it could have been a little dramatic talking about a nose ring you can easily take it out uh but then i just it just still made me think that every move I made was going to have consequences. And I wanted this career so badly that I wasn't going to let anything uh, get in the way. And it all started with a nose ring. So didn't get it. As you can see, nose has no holes in it, except for the two that are supposed to be there. And that was thanks to uh, Lisa. Well, it's pretty funny because if you Google Andy Petrillo <laughs> in the Google autocorrect or autofill, yeah. I should say, the word tattoo is number one. Really? Yes. Okay, so that I did get. <laughs> Lisa was not around to tell me not to get the tattoo. Yes, I do have some. Uh, most of them are not visible on air, although I do have one on my wrist. Is that what would create that? I wonder. I don't know. I, I, clearly, there are people who are looking for them. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, so the one I have, I do have it. It's on my wrist. It's my own personal mantra, motto. It's, it's peaceful heart, warrior spirit. Uh, and I did think long and hard about this one because I said, oh, geez, this is going to be noticeable on air, but I really wanted it in this spot, uh, which is why, not that I expect people to notice this, although if they notice the tattoo, maybe they do. On my left wrist, I always have something when I'm on the air, whether it's a watch, a bangle, a bracelet, it's always, always, always on my left wrist because I will, I will try to cover it up as much as I can if I'm wearing short sleeves or three-quarter length sleeves. Um, so I am cognizant of that. Uh, I do want to, and I have been thinking I've wanted to add to it, but I know that'll bring it up my forearm and then it'll really start to get tricky. 
but these are things you know that you have to think about when you are on air i have uh, i work with somebody who has tattoos and one of them creeps up a little bit on his neck now he does wear collared shirts and it can hide it for the most part but once in a while you can see it and he he has mentioned a few times he goes i wish i never got that i never knew i was going to get into broadcasting and it bothers me so it's funny how you know little things like that especially when you're in a visual medium you have to think long and hard about getting or increasing in my case uh, on my arm right even though i want it i just don't think my bosses would approve see it's funny you say that because i was a couple of years ago, the day of the, um, the day that uh, Stamkos stuck with Tampa and then um, the trade from Montreal, the, the Nashville-Montreal trade, that all went down with like... Oh, it was crazy. Right? So yeah. whatever day of the week that was, was the same day I dropped my kids off at the bus to go to summer camp. And from there, I had to run over to whatever mall that is. I can't remember where that is top of it, like the Markham Mall or something. Okay. And I was walking through there and I saw, he's not a colleague of yours now, uh, but I saw a hockey broadcaster in the mall out with his wife. And I was struck because he is covered in tattoos. And I, 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 it doesn't bother me. I, it's your own body, do whatever you want. Nor would it bother me if this person showed up on my television wearing them. But I, I see this person on TV. I hear this person on radio. I've never seen them before. It is actually funny because I never thought about it until you said it. A lot of people are covered in tattoos. You'd be surprised at some of the news anchors. Now they for sure, like I know one of the news anchors for CBC, she has full sleeves on both arms, but you'd never know it because it is mandated. She does have to wear full length sleeves. News is not as forgiving uh, as sports. I bet when you agreed to do this, you didn't think we'd be talking about restaurant critics and tattoos. <laughs> and tattoos. No, not at all. But, but listen, it's, it's, it's still a topic, right? Because I, I know of athletes who are, I mean, it wasn't it a big deal in, in, uh, in baseball not that long ago. You know, a couple players with full sleeves, then they were told they had to wear longer sleeves because they didn't want to see their full sleeve tattoos. What message did that send? I remember that, that was a a pretty big deal. I even know of some guys um, who have gone from their playing days in soccer to now coaching and they have, you know, pretty extensive tattoos on their arms and they've been asked to wear long sleeves um, when possible. I mean, it's not, you know, you're going to get fined or anything, but it was strongly recommended that they do that. So it's still something that is a sensitive topic, right? Because it's not like they have tattoos that are degrading anybody or you know guns and bombs or whatever going off they're tattoos that have meaning but there's still something about what type of message does that send the perception uh it's I, I guess maybe they still feel like people with tattoos are bad rebels or any, you know something like that so you always got to cover them up but for me i mean it's tiny i'm aware of it and uh, i definitely do I, I recognize that if i were to get more on my arms there's a very real possibility that my boss will tell me never to wear short sleeves again. And that's just part of the job. I get it. It's a visual medium. And sometimes that bothers more viewers than not, I guess. Right. So I'm aware of it. So you, you kind of brushed over it. So you graduated to the big leagues, yeah. you joined Leafs TV, mm -hmm. you did NHL, you did some AHL, you, you do some national lacrosse league stuff. Uh, you do some NBA TV, some goal, like pretty impressive stuff. Like good, like good on you. Um, interesting to me is that you not only did you go to Haiti and deliver some 
some valuable resources there, but you did go to Afghanistan. There's not too many people who say they went to Afghanistan. What was that like? That was a crazy few months, actually. Um, and it was the year that I turned 30 and I just thought, oh my goodness, am I even going to see my 30th birthday? Um, so we went to, you're right, we went to Haiti. That actually, believe it or not, was a scarier experience um, than Afghanistan because at one point we were delivering these boxes of, we had Raptors t-shirts and we had gone to an orphanage to deliver them. And it was myself and another girl, an employee of MLSE. So she was in one section, I was uh, in another section and the kids crowded around us and it was so wonderful and I loved it. So I'm down on my knees opening this box and these kids are coming and I'm giving them t-shirts. And then I heard a scream and I, you know, because of all the commotion around me, I just thought, did I really just hear a scream? Because that actually sounded like one of distress. And before I had a moment to even really process anymore, I felt this weight on my back. And again, it's, it's amazing how quickly the brain starts to work. I thought kids were tripping over themselves and had fallen on me. But then I see this massive arm that definitely belonged to a grown man uh, reach over me. And I realized the pressure that was being put on me was, so these two guys, and this is what's really sad, obviously, when, you know, uh, in, when you're in, in such difficult times, a black market had formed in Haiti. So even though we were doing good, right, and trying to bring and donate, um, a lot of things were getting stolen. And then they were being sold on the black market because everyone was just trying to figure out how to live. Right. Because uh, unfortunately, in those countries still, there's a lot of corruption. And um, we did have military tour guides and they said more and more people, you know, they were seen in tents on the streets, but amazing how all the homes of the rich people that were ruined managed to get repaired, right? So anyways, it's very sad in this country, but these, you know, these guys obviously had realized that we were bringing these t-shirts and they were trying to steal them. So they got to her first. And then when I felt that pressure, by the time they got to me, um, our military detail had come on over and, and managed to get rid of them and, and scare them off. And it was just really heartbreaking um, to see that. But I, I remember just kind of experiencing that. There was a nurse as well in Haiti who uh, was, you know, uh, unfortunately, I, I think she had had a nervous breakdown and she was begging to come back on the plane with us. She said the apocalypse was coming. She was, you know, not being coherent in any way. And it was just so heartbreaking. She just wanted out. She couldn't deal with the devastation and the death and the poverty anymore. And she was pleading with us to get back on the plane. And I just thought, oh my goodness, this is heart-wrenching, right? You know, what we're seeing. So that really greatly affected me. Um, and then on the other hand, you just see like these young children who are so resilient, right? And just, you know, smiles on their faces and it kind of gives you hope at the same time too. But after, after that, shortly after that, we did, we went to uh, Afghanistan and I remember you have to sign a form, right? Where basically if something happens to you, right, you're going to release the military of, of any fault. And it was, you know, loss of limbs and loss of life. And I went, I don't really know if I want to sign this. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's, you're going into a war zone. But uh, I do remember when we flew in, we flew in at night and we were on a cargo plane. So A, very loud. B, not a normal plane. You're literally on benches, right? So there's a bench that I'm on. There's a bench right in front of you. So you're, you're elbow to elbow with the people on either side of you and you're knee to knee with the people in front of you. And, and from where? Where, so did you, where did you get we, on that cargo plane? So what was our flight path again? We went from Toronto to Dubai. And then from Dubai, we went into Afghanistan. So the first leg was normal. 
first leg was somewhat normal. Yeah. So that was a normal flight, normal plane, got to Dubai. There was a camp there. And then from there, we got onto the, uh, the cargo plane to go in. And because we were going in at night, um, they also then shut off all the lights in the cargo plane because they didn't want us to be a target. That's right. Because you're flying over enemy territory again. And uh, so, of course, they shut that off. You can't see anyone. You can feel everyone around you, but you can't see anything. So I had Ryan Vanderbeek next to me, former NHLer, tough guy. You know, anyways, he was a blast. He was hilarious. But here's this enforcer, tough guy, sitting next to me. The wheels to the cargo plane, of course, come out to land. But the noise freaked him out that he jumps, he screams, oh my goodness, don't come after me, Ryan, for um, riding you out on this. But I never laughed so hard in my life because I thought of the two of us, he if anyone had to, you. yeah, who's, yeah, people would choose you to protect me. People would choose me to be the one who would scream. Meanwhile, it was him. So we had a good laugh about that. But, uh, and I thought, oh my goodness, I mean, you got to make light of where you are. And I said, if someone's going to be shooting us from below, we, we have the hard hats on, the helmets. And I said, maybe I should actually be sitting on this as opposed to having it on my head. But that right away was welcome to a war zone, right? Like we have to shut the lights off on this cargo plane because we don't want to be a target from anyone shooting a missile at us. And I went, my goodness, what did I get myself into? But to see the, the joy on the faces of all the military personnel when they saw us arrive, more so the, the former hockey players, uh, it made it all worth it. Uh, and then for them to see the Stanley Cup, uh, again, that trophy, the amount of joy that it brings to people, uh, all worth it. So it was, it was a, an incredible experience, that's for sure. All right, I'll let you take a breath for a second. Um, not a lot of sports to watch these days. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm wondering, and assuming if you're watching The Last Dance, which has just been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, but there are still things where people can wager their money and, and place their bets. My friends at, uh, at betonline.ag have lots of things to, to bet on. Uh, you can bet on eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, God help us, the elections. <laughs> I think the first bet there is going to be is there actually going to be one. And yes, the, the quarter of a million dollar poker series. Still fun to be had at betonline.ag. Use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, betonline.ag. Use promo code MYPOD100. So if I ever said to you, can you imagine at some point, Andy, you would become the first ever female anchor on Hockey Night in Canada? Like, Would you have ever believed that? No, not at all. Uh, no. And I, st I still try to process that. There's a lot of joy that comes with uh, blazing a trail, I guess you could say, and kind of being the first to do something uh, and break a barrier. There's also some sadness that comes with it because just of the era that we live in. Like, we're not talking the 1920s, 1950s. Like, we're talking the 2000s. And really? Like we're talking about firsts for women in the 2000s. So that's sad. So there's joy on a personal level, but sadness on a greater level. Uh, that's, uh, that's for sure. But listen, the people I worked with um, and still know and, and still are friends with were just so incredible that they never treated me like a woman in sport. It was, you earned it, so you deserve it. And, you know, go for it. So I always appreciated that support. Um, and even working with the guys, again, they never treated me any differently. As long as you can 
you know, as long as you pull up your socks, as long as you carry your, your own weight, that is one thing I, I have discovered more and more in this industry. That's not to say there aren't bad apples here and there, but on the whole, people just want to make sure that you're just carrying your own and that you're contributing to the team, right? If we're going to use the analogy, even on the, even on the media side, we're a team. Just, you know, don't be a cherry picker. Don't be, you know, someone who slacks on your shift. Just, you know, don't try to jump off the ice and give someone else the minus, right? Like when you see the rush going the other way, just be there for one another. And I, I find that once you do that, once you, you've proven that you've done your homework, you know what you're talking about, um, you also understand you have a ton to learn. You're not, you're not walking in there an overachiever or acting like you know more than everybody else. Um, you just are a good teammate. They don't care. Man, woman, short, tall, blue, alien, whatever, like just, you know, be a good teammate. And uh, that was definitely what I felt there. And I think that's why everything came together and worked as well as it did. And which is why I was very sad when it ended, but I have incredible memories there. Just to correct, Ryan Vandenbush, I think I said Vanderbeek by accident, but Ryan Vandenbush was uh, who I went to uh, Afghanistan with. So to make sure I corrected that. Like at, at any point when you were sitting at the anchor of like, it is one of the most iconic brands in sports. Like, it, so I'm going to focus on the positive. I, I try and I'm trying to be more on the positive. Like, yes, it's a shame that it hadn't happened before, but here you are. You are the first woman to sit in that desk and, and be the anchor. Like at any point, did you have to pinch yourself? Like what were the nerves like walking into that? Well, I, so it's, it's interesting. And I've explained this before. I mean, number one, the adrenaline was going, like I was so excited to be a part of it that I don't even think I really allowed myself in the beginning to understand, you know, what was happening to me in my life. Then there was also, um, I was actually pretty sad too, because one of my best friends uh, was Wade Belak mm -hmm. and he had passed away shortly before. So in fact, the day that I found out that I had been hired by Hockey Night in Canada was also the day he had passed away and was also a day he and I were supposed to get together for lunch. There were a lot of emotions going on at that mm -hmm. time because the person I wanted to, other than my family, the next person I wanted to call uh, was Wade. And I was you know, pretty excited because I thought, oh my goodness, you know, we're going to be going for lunch later. He is going to freak out when he hears this. And I had uh, a girlfriend of mine call me afterwards who's also in the media. And that's when she said, like, did you, you know, hear the news? And that's when I found out about Wade. And it was, I didn't even know how to process my feelings till this day. I, I still don't even know how to process how that day went. So when I entered hockey night, uh, I was just overwhelmed by the loss of a, of a good friend. My grandfather who immigrated to Canada and got the family hooked on hockey, who uh, has said, you know, up until the day he passed away, that hockey is what made him feel Canadian. Mm -hmm. We buried him with a Toronto Maple Leafs pin on his lapel. That's how much he loved them. So I, I dealt with the loss of a friend, uh, a grandfather who meant so much to me, was the patriarch of our family, you know, in the hospital. He did manage to watch me a couple times on Saturdays. Uh, then he passed away shortly after. He passed away in November. You know, I started working there in October. So he watched me a little bit. It was just all these emotions. I didn't even really know what to feel. And then a few months after that, I think it was January I was doing sideline for the Toronto Maple Leafs and I was at, you know, what was then, you know, Air Canada Centre, now Scotiabank. And that is when it hit me. I heard the theme song in my ear. I heard Ron McLean's voice in my ear. 
I could feel the vibration of the stands because I was at the arena with the fans. And that's when I just went, am I seriously covering the Toronto Maple Leafs on Hockey Night in Canada on a Saturday? And I haven't watched back that first hit that I did because in my head, it feels like a 20 second, like it feels like forever. When Ron threw to me, I blanked. I was like a deer in headlights. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do because that was the moment it hit me. Uh, I hoped to think that it didn't come across as awkward as that. And then I I got rolling. But that was when it hit me. Not September, October, preseason, going into the start of the season. It was was January when it kind of dawned on me what was going on because I just had so many emotions running through my head. Do you ever ever notice, do you ever have that out-of-body moment where you actually – aren't thinking about the words that they're coming out of your mouth when you're on the air? Uh, all the time. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> I, well, I mean, uh, when, when something is new for sure. So that, that was like hockey night in Canada, unreal, uh, Olympics, unreal. The first ones in particular in Sochi, right. I still don't even feel like that was me at the desk hosting FIFA world cup 2014 still don't feel like that was me. So, yeah, I mean, of course, I, I had those moments. I still get excited before big shows. I don't get nervous anymore uh, because, you know, uh, to me, you're nervous when you're, this is my personal opinion, you're nervous when you're not as prepared as you know you can be. That's where I think nervousness comes from because you think, oh, no, maybe I should have done more research or I'm not ready for this or I'm not ready for that. So I don't get nervous because uh, I could argue I do too much research, but I get excited. I still get excited. When I hear the theme song to the Olympics, the, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. When I hear the theme song coming into a hockey show, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. I love it, but it's just, it's excitement. It's not nerves. So you then graduate over to TSN mm-hmm. and smash another barrier <laughs> as the host of Leafs Lunch in 2016. And you become the first woman ever in Canada to have your own daily radio show. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Again, crazy. Uh, I crazy because there were a lot of women uh, who were in radio, still in radio, but didn't have the daily show. That's right. that's the uh, their that's own, their own daily show. Yeah, their own daily show. They were ever part of it, or you know, women would do updates uh, in radio. So you always had a voice that uh, you know you you heard a woman's voice. But to your point, yeah, not their own daily sports radio talk show and it was nerve-wracking and it was a huge step for me because again as a television host you are always directing traffic you are the mediator and you very rarely if at all offer your opinion which is why the analysts always take the bullets right they're the ones who offer their opinion so they're the ones who have to face you know the backlash from anyone on social media and you as the host always come up smelling like roses because you don't offer an opinion and i said okay but if i'm entering the radio world that's exactly what you do that's all you do um is offer your opinion so i was really nervous about that because i said i'm now opening myself up like i'm 10 years into this i like to think like i built up a reputation credibility you know certain kind of fan base and i thought am i going to jeopardize all of that by now offering up an opinion that people may or may not agree with. And I just said, screw it. I think I've earned my stripes to offer up an opinion. Um, So let's go ahead and do it. And I also acknowledge 
then I'm not an expert, right? Like I'm not sitting here also saying that my opinion is the only one that matters or my opinion is always right. I can accept when it's wrong, but I like to think that I bring that non-player slash casual fan perspective to things in some ways. Like I think more than anything, I can represent that. Um, Jeff O'Neill's a former player. He will always have that cachet. As much as he thinks he can bring the casual fan perspective, well, he can't because he's the pro. And I think he, you know, he acknowledges that, he accepts that, that's his level of expertise. Whereas I can bring that, right? So it's, yeah. And as long as I, I acknowledge that, I, I'd like to think I don't think I know more than anybody else, but I also like to think that I back up my opinion if I believe in it. What I think is more, so this is my opinion, which doesn't mean anything other than it's mine. Because mm-hmm. I don't profess to be a professional on anything as it comes to this stuff. I think what you do exceptionally well, which is unique, is you have the ability to balance when to rely on the expert and, and when to filter in or layer in your opinion when appropriate and when necessary. And necessary does not have a negative connotation to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you, you pass the ball really well. You let people do their thing and shine in the way that they can. But where, it's, where it fits, you then chime in and say, well, here's what I think, or here's what I saw, or here's what I thought. And I think that's a really unique skill. I think at the beginning, a lot of my critique of you and your show was, on the po- and, and I meant it positively, is that you drive a show really well. Um, and, and I appreciate I, that. It's tricky. I, yeah, especially the show that you do. Um, and the danger is, as you, the danger really is, is that there are, everybody's an expert on hockey in Toronto and that's your market. So no matter what you do, you're an idiot, right? (laughs) Well, but see, it's funny. And I say, well, that's, therein lies the irony. If you say, I don't know what I'm talking about because I haven't played the game or I wasn't a coach or a GM. Well, neither were you. Like, who the, to the people right. who are criticizing yeah. me, I said I represent you. Right. <laughs> like, therein lies the irony. Like, you are being represented on this panel by the diehard fan who happened to make a living of this, and now you know is, has been immersed in this world and in this culture a lot more so now, obviously, than a casual fan. But I bring your perspective, you know, into this. I am like you. I am the armchair GM. And I get that, right? And, and that's where I try not to overstep. And where I do feel like I can add input is just simply because I've been around the game now for over, at the NHL level, I've been around the game now for 14 years. Um, that's not including, you know, when I started in, in the junior ranks, right? So I've been around a long time. And, and I feel like that's when I can step in. But yeah. I, I try to tell people, I actually am you <laughs> on this panel, right? Not that I'm saying everyone needs to then, you know, support me or be a, be a fan of me, but it's also pretty easy when you are surrounded by the incredible experts. I mean, to get the opinions of Dave Poulin and Craig Button and Mike Johnson and Jeff O'Neill and Jamie McLennan when they do join me and Bob McKenzie and Darren Dreger. I mean, my goodness, sometimes I just need to pop some popcorn. I, I ask a question and then I lay back and I mean, it's the easiest money I can make, right? Because they're just so incredible at what they do and the information they provide. So let's listen to a clip from one of those so-called experts. And cry about what you don't like that I'm saying. I'm not a Leaf fan, but I'm also accused of being a Leaf homer. 
some people are saying I don't like the leaps. Like, which one is it? Oh, welcome to the world of broadcasting. No, I know. I'm just saying you sound like an idiot. So you can keep sending your tweets in. But at the end of the day, if you don't want to hear what the other side has to say, then don't tune in because there's more to this than just how great the leaps are. Well, we want people to tune in. We don't want them going anywhere. So you know who that is? <laughs> I do know who that is, yes. That is Sully. That is Patrick O'Sullivan, who worked with me for a year. On his final show. That on was, that show. Yeah. You know, to quote, uh, I forget who sings the song, but, you know, was it just a bad day? Was he having a bad day that day? Because <laughs> about, I was going to play the clip earlier, but about a minute and a half before that, he took a pretty healthy swat at you for being, quote unquote, a Leaf fangirl for quoting Austin Matthews. Was he just having a bad day that day? Uh, oh my goodness, that was a while ago. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, listen, he, he may have been. And, and to your point, here's the thing. It is not, and I don't want to make it seem like Toronto is the big bad market. And if you can't make it here, you can't make it anywhere. And, you know, th this is where you can really show your chops. But this is a very hard market to work in. I mean, that is, that is fact, because to your point, People live and die by the leaves. Everyone has an opinion about the leaves. And you have to be careful because even if you criticize uh, the leaves or the fan base is upset with their team, at the core, they still love them. So you have to be very careful how you criticize the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? And I think for, for Sully is he brought in the bigger, um, the bigger outlook, right? He brought in the macro outlook. He looked at it as a, from a league perspective, from a bigger market perspective, like he included everybody. And, you know, in, and I think what maybe just, you know, weighed on him in that day, because that was during the playoffs as well, right? And the Leafs yep. had come off a spectacular. Against Washington. Time. Yeah, right. against Washington, right? And I, I think every time Sully tried to bring the um, other side of it, right? Like take a look at Washington's perspective or take a look at the league's perspective or other players' perspective, the Toronto market didn't want to hear it because it was about the Leafs. And I don't, I don't care that it's not Washington screwed up and that's why the Leafs won. It's the Leafs won because they're better. But yet if he tried to say, well, actually Washington had a better game, it was this you know, moment, whatever, Leafs fans don't want to hear that. So it, it is, it's, it's very difficult to, to balance that out. I've had other former players who tried their hand at broadcasting um, and it was very difficult, especially if they weren't a Leaf player, or even if they were, maybe it was for a hot second, because they always bring the other market perspective. And it's very difficult to bring that balance of, sure, these people are their hockey fans. They want to hear about hockey 100%. But know your audience, know your market. They still want that Toronto Maple Leaf angle. They still want to hear about the Toronto Maple Leafs being better. And even if they're bad, how do they get better? Don't, don't come here and praise other teams. No, they don't have time for you praising other teams. And I think that's also very difficult for some former players, uh, especially when they get involved at the regional level. The national level, 100%. You're covering all bases. But the regional level, the market level, uh, it's very difficult for them to try and balance out um, you know, trying to talk about the league while understanding 
that your audience really just wants to hear about their team. So that's a, that was a learning, I think, obviously a learning experience for him. I think it's a learning experience for many players who then tried to get into broadcasting. Well, part of the problem is, I, I duck every time I say this, but Toronto is not a hockey town. Toronto is a Maple Leaf town. Exactly. Oh, and, for sure. And by the way, you're on a show called Leafs Lunch. <laughs> and that, and therein, therein is the struggle, right? Like that's where I think things can get very difficult um, as well. For, like we had a, we had other people who you know spent most of their time with the Montreal Canadiens, right? And and now you're coming into a Leaf market. Uh, and you're and you're trying to speak to Leafs fans when maybe that's not even what you did as a player. We even have people behind the scenes. We, you know, had um, a producer one time who, and listen, everyone's entitled to be a fan of whatever team they want, but he's a diehard Ottawa Senators fan, which first of all, I went, they exist? Yeah, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. But um, so he's a diehard Ottawa Senators fan. And one day, because he was producing the show, that also meant, he was uh, manning the Leafs Lunch Twitter account. And I remember he put something out. Somebody, oh, if I can remember it, somebody had said something, you know, pretty belittling of the Leafs. And the way he phrased it on the Leafs Lunch Twitter handle was almost like he was siding with the person who said that because, of course, he's not a Leafs fan. He's a Sens fan. Well, of course, people who follow Leafs Lunch 1050 on Twitter are Leafs fans. So when they saw that tweet, they went, what the heck? This is out of context for Leafs Lunch to be tweeting something that seems to be agreeing with what someone else said that was actually belittling uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. So we had to pull them aside and said, you have to take your bias out of it. Whether you agree or disagree with what somebody said about the Leafs, that's not the fan base you're speaking to. And that's part of broadcasting, again, is understanding your fan base. And that is a learning curve for a lot of people, whether it's in front of the camera or behind the camera, in this producer's instance, that is definitely a learning curve. And that's the, so in my opinion, again, for what it's worth, there's a very senior broadcaster, sorry, should say journalist in Montreal who hates Toronto. So you know, whenever there's going to be a topic, he is going to find the anti-Toronto stance. So Leaf fans, Toronto fans unite against him. <laughs> Jeff O'Neill, on the other hand, what is magical about what he does mm -hmm. is he is a Leaf fan. He doesn't hide it. And when he bashes them, it is empathetic. It is empathetic to other fans because mm -hmm. he is one of us and when he's screaming about Marner not signing a contract and what's the difference between 7 million and 8 million, because average Joe or Jane in, in Canada in Toronto is saying the same bleeping thing. And yeah. when, when they can't score on the Zamboni goalie, we're saying the same thing. So he can dump on them because it's empathetic. He's one of us, which is yes. very different. Uh, and that's a very difficult skill. And I, and again, I think you, your show does it, really well because you can cater to an audience um, without always having the pom-poms on. You don't have to be 100% pro, but I mm -hmm. think you have to be balanced. 100%. And that's what I also said about, you know, even when you criticize the Leafs, understand that you, you need to do so out of love still, right? right? And, and that's where some of the, the outsiders who maybe aren't, 
used to the market, don't really know the market, or uh, again, approach it from a different perspective where they think, okay, let's talk hockey, let's not just talk Leafs. That's where they get lost is because, um, you know, for example, even, you know, this year talking about the backup goalie situation for the Toronto Maple Leafs, we're talking about it from a place of frustration because we want to see them do well. We want Freddie to have help. We want someone to rely on. Like, it's still coming from a place of do this because, you know, you're going to be better. But an outsider can come on in and be like, how stupid are the Leafs that they can't even figure this out? Dubis is dumb, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then the you know, Leafs fans are going to go, hey, relax over there. Like, we get that it's a problem, but we still have to figure out how to fix it. Don't suddenly, you know, try to light the place on fire. And that's where, yeah, again, it's just knowing your audience and knowing how to speak to them. So when you, um, when you, when you got the radio gig, did you lean on or seek out any of the other women who have been in similar roles before? Uh, I did not um, because uh, I didn't really know who to reach out to, who to talk to. And this is, it's kind of been that way um, in my life, even from when I was very young, it was really funny when people said uh, before I even got really into the industry and they said, who, you know, who do you model yourself after? I just went, I don't know. I mean, there were, I mean, definitely there were women in the industry and I was watching them. Um, but if anything, it was more on the American side till this day. I still love Susie Kohlberg. Right. And, and I always, you know, watch her. Um, but there wasn't, I don't know, there wasn't just really any women kind of doing what I was doing, even at the time that I took over, you know, who was, who was doing that? We just established I was the first in, in Canada. To, so I'm just like, well, who's doing that? I mean, there's women who do updates and, and women who do some shows once a week, but uh, I didn't really know you know, who to turn to, um, in that sense. If anything, I leaned more on producers. Yep. Um, you know, Dan Millman was somebody that, uh, you know, I, I leaned on as well. He, uh, you know, he was somebody who was helping me out even at NHL network radio. And I just kind of asked their opinion, someone who gave me advice even early on in my career. And I still, to this day, remember something that he had said, uh, is Michael Landsberg. Mm-hmm. So when I was still, you know, working at, um, at Leafs TV, you know, sorry, I think I was cable. Sorry, that's right. I was still at Rogers Cable. And that was the first time I met him. And he brought me on off the record. And he was, he was fantastic. And then I put together a demo and I showed it to him and he gave me such great advice. And I'll never forget, he always said to me, the further you go in your career, learn to be uninsultable because people are going to come at you left, right, and center. Um, so kind of, you know, create that armor and also know that you're still learning, know that you're always learning, never think that you've kind of hit the peak of the mountain and then that's it because then you close yourself off. So, uh, yeah, uh, did I reach out to women? No. Um, but that doesn't mean I wasn't a sponge and that doesn't mean I didn't listen to anyone who had been there, done that. And I always just kind of walked to the beat of my own drum and I brought my own, my own flair to it. And I hope I, I hope I do it justice. And I think I have, I have a lot of young women who reach out to me and I've always said the door is open. I will always give the advice that I can give. Okay. One hard question and then a couple softballs. Okay. So former Leaf and social media, Brendan Lepsik mm. is a topic du jour for those who are under a rock and I don't know how you'd avoid it with what's going on in the world right now. Yeah. He, uh, he had a private Instagram message uh sorry private twitter conversation yeah. come unprivate and um 
said some not so nice things about several women. He has yeah. been uh, quietly or publicly reprimanded by the Washington Capitals. The NHL went so far as to quickly issue a statement. Uh, what's your take? Oof, I did touch on this briefly today. And I said, uh, in the court of public opinion, he lost. He took a massive hit. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty despicable, you know, what he said. They were misogynistic. They were sexist, degrading comments. They were rude comments to his own teammates. And that's why I said, you know, in the, in the court of public opinion, um, yeah, case closed, right? Guilty. And I wonder how his teammates are, are going to feel. And, and I wonder how he answers to them, um, how they're going to treat him, what they want from him, what they expect from him. We know that in the world of sports, these guys will, you know, stick with each other through thick and thin uh, and they forgive a lot of stuff. But I also, I also think they're going to want a lot of questions answered. As far as you know, any other repercussion that the NHL could take, I don't know. That's where it can get really sticky because, again, this was his time, private time, private forum, private conversation that, you know, if you believe him, you know, it got hacked and got leaked. I do believe that because who in the world would want that kind of information out in the public? So I don't know what you do. And, and, and I compared it to Sean Avery when he was suspended indefinitely after making his sloppy seconds comment. And I said, but he did that after a game. He did that on NHL time. He did that representing an NHL team speaking to NHL media. So of course they're going to turn around and say, you did this in the work area, bye-bye, suspended indefinitely. I just don't know where you draw the line, what precedent you set when you start to punish people for things they've done what in, a, in the privacy of their own home or what they believe was always going to remain private. Now, the Washington Capitals can turn around and say, you've made this very uncomfortable for your teammates. We may suspend you as a team or tell you to, you know, take some time off, what have you. But I just don't know what the league can do as far as discipline. But court of public opinion, ew, ew, he's gross. Don't even want to be around somebody like that. Gross, 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 gross. And I, if I'm his mother, oh my goodness, she must be so embarrassed. Yeah, I, I don't know. The biggest punishment will come when his contract's up. And I believe he's a restricted free agent after the season. That's how you do it. That's probably how you do it, right? Because again, yeah, I mean, I think, I think he's, his reputation is taking a massive blow with, his, with teammates and with hockey players, you know, in, in general. Uh, why would you ever want somebody like that in your, in your room? Um, it, I, I'm curious, right? Like the conversations again, that, you know, these players would be having um, with their wives, because their wives would be like, why would I want you to have a teammate who's going to take shots at me like that? Right. Like, it's just, right. it's, 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 it'll be an interesting dynamic. That's for sure. So it's, it's interesting. Cause I put on Twitter immediately. I don't understand why he went to the point of, my account was hacked because to me, it's irrelevant. You said mm -hmm. it, you said it right now. You could say, you know, in a private conversation, this has leaked out. I can confirm I said it and I apologize for it and we can move on. What's interesting to yeah. me about that is five minutes after I posted that, I got multiple text messages from Twitter that my account, someone was trying to hack into my account. I have the two step authentication. So if someone tries uh -huh. to change my password, I get a text message. 
they did it four or five times within five minutes of me tweeting that. Coincidence? Maybe. Not sure. Uh, all right. Three quick questions. Who's your okay. favorite co-host and why? Oh my God, I love, you're putting me on the spot. Now I'm going to sound like a hockey player. I love them all. All my teammates are great. Um, I, I would say the one that uh, probably I just, personality wise more than anything, uh, humor wise, and, and just kind of the way we banter back and forth, it feels like a real br brother-sister relationship, which is to say that we don't mind getting at each other's throats and then we forgive one another very quickly. It has to be Mike Johnson. Okay. Um, it also helps that I watched him play. So it's like, you kind of have that chemistry already. He knew me when I was working sideline, he was a player. And now here we are broadcasting together. I feel like we've kind of come through the ranks together too, in, in some ways. So there's definitely a, a pretty good chemistry there. Favorite guest. Favorite uh, guest. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think we've had some really good ones. Uh, I have to say, if, if I were to go, so recency bias, I loved having Justin Hall on of the Toronto Maple Leafs when we were interviewing him, mostly because he busted out and started singing because we were talking about karaoke. And then he also threw Mitch Marner under the bus because he also said Mitch Marner loves karaoke and he was singing the song that he loves to sing. So uh, I thought he was just, he was really fun. Players typically are very guarded in interviews. So the fact that he did that and, and busted out into song, uh, I really enjoyed having Justin Hall on. And last question. What have you been streaming during the corona that you absolutely positively love? Oh my goodness, I am so addicted to the show Nashville. I meant to watch it when it was first out, like it came out 2012 to 2018. Um, and I'm not even really a country music fan, but I, I am loving the drama. I am loving the heartbreak songs. I am loving the big hair and the glitter. I can't get enough of it. I am binge watching it. I am on season four already of Nashville. That is awesome. Well, she is like City TV. She is everywhere. <laughs> you can see and you can see and hear Andy on Leafs Lunch every day. Uh, I assume it's every day, and I don't think that's uh, gonna go anywhere anytime soon because I don't think they're gonna cancel the season anytime soon uh, or announce it's coming back anytime soon. No, it's that forever carrot that's dangling. Uh, awesome to have you. Good to see your face again. Uh, and to hear your voice, hope you and your family, as long as you're staying there, stay safe. Uh, if you move back home, I'm sure you guys will enjoy yet miss your parents too. And thank you so much for doing this. Hope we can have you back again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.